I heard it from a friend who heard it from an acquaintance who read it on a bathroom wall that you've been messing around. Hey, that's not how that goes. Greetings, fellow Earth babies, and welcome to Postpunk Heartstrings. I'm Jimmy James S. Butler, and I'm here to talk about postpunk, new wave, alt, and indie music, and how it shapes and intersects with our lives. A couple of episodes ago, I requested feedback on the podcast, and one Mr. Mark Feldbush reached out and gave me some input on what he and other listeners might like to hear about. So here's my shout out of thanks to Mark for reaching out. This episode is dedicated to you, good sir. So Mark reached out and he wrote, I'm curious if you're going to take time to define post-punk, a brief survey of its history and roots, key bands, etc. I dig the post-punk sound and aesthetic, and I get curious why some bands might be post-punk versus alternative versus new wave. Well, this is a great question, and there tends to be quite a bit of debate about not only what defines post-punk music, but also when and where it all began. Just to provide an example of how uppity, indignant, and self-opinionated the musical elite can be when discussing this, I posted a question on a post-punk, new wave, and punk Facebook group that I'm part of. And frankly, I got pretty much what I expected. Friendly opinions, as well as condescending retorts. So my post was, question for the group. What do you consider to be the first post-punk album released? I also later followed up with, hey, I know there's a lot of opinions on this. I was just posting this question out of curiosity. I'm not sure that there is a right or wrong answer. The very first response I got (laughs) was from... Ian Morphicus Stevens. I'm not sure if Morphicus, uh, that's the middle name, is a real name or not. I'm not sure what that means. What would be the meaning of Morphicus? I'm going to look it up real quick. Okay, there is, I can't find any such thing as Morphicus. <laughs> Let me put it in quotes. Uh, Morphicus is a made-up name. Okay, so <laughs> the very first person to post a response to my question was Ian Morphica Stevens, he of the made-up middle name. (laughs) I'm being a little facetious here because uh, here was his response. For fuck's sake, it's bad enough trying to establish a joined-up opinion on punk, exclamation mark. Oh, boy. Okay, he didn't put, uh, he didn't didn't write for fuck's sake out. He he did the FFS, but, you know, it had more power when I actually put it into words, so that's the way I read it. So, um, hey, Morphicus, if you happen to hear this, Calm down. It's okay. I was only asking for opinions. I wasn't trying to have everybody joined up. I was actually trying to point out that everyone's not joined up. So I guess thank you for that. But anyway, I had kind of decided that I wasn't going to use names, only first names. But um, that whole name, it was too good to pass up uh, to mention Morphicus (laughs) in that. So... Okay, some of the other responses, just to show you how this plays out here. (laughs) I got a lot of good responses. I got a whole bunch of uh, very humble opinions, very, you know, 
questioning opinions like, hey, maybe this one, maybe this one. But some of the other responses that I got were, um, uh, <laughs> I don't understand the question. It's all still punk. <laughs> that was posted by Jimmy. And Jimmy, I, th I think you have a misunderstanding of how post-punk progressed out of the original movement. It didn't really begin as post-punk. It was, it was uh, you know, just all considered new music at the time. But yes, there can be a post-punk. I think it's, I think post-punk refers to the time after uh, the, the very short time that punk was uh, its original uh, blow up of about a year or two in the late 70s. Disintegrated pretty quickly. Now, the musical style did not disintegrate. Punk stayed around. It's still around today. Everyone knows that, I think. But yeah, post-punk can exist. <laughs> there was a post-punk after that initial surge of punk bands. They kind of disintegrated and uh, there's reason for that. But um, there's a reason why punk music stayed around as well. But no, it's it's not all still punk. <laughs> um, they kind of separated out into uh, their own divergent, unique styles. And I, I'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. Okay. One of the other responses I got was, there are no firsts. <laughs> that was posted by Bob. Um, that's sort of a, a kind of an elitist answer. A lot of people in this group kind of feel like they have to say, oh, uh, they have to just be contrary. You know, that's, that's sort of an elitist thing to do, right? Be contrary to common public opinion. But yeah, these are the ones that kind of made me laugh. But um, somebody posted, um, Kevin posted, post-punk was really new wave. So there's lots from then. And I think Kevin is right, really, in a vast sense. Um, it was all kind of uh, new music or new wave. And I'll talk about that a little more uh, in a few minutes. But um, yeah, let's see what else I got here. <laughs> this was a good one posted by uh, someone named Soren. None. Punk is the most obvious hoax in the history of music, only matched by Britpop and grunge. All right, Soren, you're in some elite few who know the truth about music and see through the hoaxes of the different genre styles. Oh, sorry, guys. I'm in, I'm in a little bit of a <laughs> fishy-shish mood. I was very nice. I didn't respond to any of these things, especially the ones that were kind of uh, contrary or, or tr you know, kind of trolling. I'll read one more. This was posted by Graham. And it had a winky face at the end, so I'm not sure whether this was uh, legitimately a snipe or not. But um, Graham posted, I've much doubt anyone ever considered a stupid thought unless they were feeling short of attention. And then a winky face, a smiley winky face. I'm not sure what that means. I, I think he means I was trying to get attention by posting this question. Um, but he does put a winky smiley face, so I'm not sure if that's him making a snipe, but also trying to not be so harsh about it. <laughs> um, but hey, Graham, I wasn't posting it for attention. I was posting it really for what I got. I, I wanted a bunch of opinions because I'm kind of honestly kind of was ignorant about the beginnings of post-punk. I was kind of researching it before I posted the question and I kind of knew a little bit, but I knew very little. I could tell you that much because after I started reading about it, I started discovering uh, quite a few groups and bands that I'd heard of, some I hadn't heard of, and um, a lot of them, even that I had heard of, came out with music much earlier than I had thought at first. But it, um, I wasn't trying to get any sort of attention from it, and I wasn't trying to start any trouble 
for the most part, people were very kind and, you know, just giving their opinion. There, there was there weren't any arguments that broke out other than there was one that um, was posted by a guy named Pete and Pete posted, is there any such thing as post-punk as punk still exists? And then someone after that replied to that comment and said, punk died in, you know, 1977, as far as I'm concerned, or something like that. And then, of course, Pete came back and said, where you've been living, under a rock? <laughs> punk still exists. <laughs> and, and Pete's right. It does still exist. Um, I think the person who responded was referring to the initial uh, surge of punk, where there were so many punk bands. And, and then it was just, you know, it was punk was the new thing. And then it kind of it kind of died out, you know, for for various reasons. But um, that was the closest thing to an argument. There really weren't any arguments. It was very peaceful, probably. A lot of it was because I didn't respond to some of the snipey comments and things. I just left it there. I, I only liked uh, some of the things where people voted or threw, threw their opinions out, you know, and said, uh, made a few comments like, hey, you know, good one. That's a good, good uh, possibility. Um, good suggestion. So anyway, I just wanted to read through that because I knew I know what this is. It's very divisive. Um, and it's silly that it's divisive because it's a very subjective subject matter. But I just wanted to give you guys an idea of how diversive it is and, and how, <laughs> how indignant people get over being the one that is right <laughs> about this. So yeah, so I got a lot of votes on my post on what the first post-punk release was. So some of them I knew, I would say most of the bands I knew or had heard of or thought maybe would be thrown out as possible first post-punk releases. But um, I made a tally of the top ones that were listed, you know, and I'll read those off in a minute. But then I went through and looked at the release dates and put them in order that way. And then I went through and listened to them and kind of rated them as far as, did they have post-punk elements? Were they uh, largely post-punk Defining them sort of in a way that I'll kind of go over the definition of post-punk and how how I look at it and how I define it in a moment um, and what that means. But um, first, I, I'll, I'll just read through these. So in February of 1977, a band named Television came out with an album called Marquee Moon. And there were, were a number of, of people who threw that out as the first post-punk album released. And I listened through it. I think it has a lot of post-punk elements, but it also still has sort of a classic rock feel to it and maybe a little bit of glam rock. There were a lot of post-punk precursors, um, including David Bowie and um, Iggy Pop. And they, they kind of laid the groundwork for the post-punk movement that, that came out in the new music movement a little bit later. Somebody even mentioned David Bowie, his album Low, and a Nicky Pop album. I can't remember the name of it right now. But somebody had mentioned those two as the first post-punk releases. I think they still sort of retain like some of that classic rock element or glam rock element. And so does uh, Marky Moon by television, in my opinion.
so I crossed that one off the list as the first post-punk release. Okay, so the next one chronologically, the suggestion that was thrown out was by a band called The Stranglers, which I had heard of and I heard a few songs from, but they had an album that came out in April of 1977 called Radis Norvicus. Hey gang, I just wanted to drop a quick note here to let you know that I butchered the name of this album when I first recorded this podcast. The correct pronunciation is Radis Norvegicus. Okay, back to the show. I listened to this today, and it's a really good album. It really is. Um, I was very surprised that I hadn't heard of it before. There were quite a few albums that The Stranglers had that I hadn't heard of. This one, I was surprised that it came out as early as it did in April of 1977. So somebody had voted for that. But again, I think this one has post-punk elements to it, but it still stays mostly in the punk classic rock territory, garage rock territory, in my opinion, just through and through. So there are some tracks that are a little more post-punky, but it just has that, to me, garage band punk framework to a lot of the tracks. And it's great. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. I just don't think it could be considered the first true post-punk release. So then the next album that was thrown out was Talking Heads' self-titled debut, Talking Heads. Uh, That came out in September of 1977. And I think, again, the style just doesn't quite capture post-punk, although there are post-punk elements there. These bands are like kind of venturing out and laying some groundwork and throwing some new things out there that would go on to impact a lot of other bands and influence them. And a lot of these bands would eventually come out with releases that are through and through post-punk releases. But again, the Talking Heads release, I think it's still retaining some of that classic traditional rock background. His vocals are very helpful because a big part of post-punk is tied up in the vocals and sort of that that voice is another instrument and um, sort of an experimental instrument at that. So, but, so the Talking Heads, uh, David Byrne, uh, his voice does fit that, but I think as a whole, this album doesn't check off all the post-punk boxes. Then this one was very interesting to me. It's called Ha 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 by the band Ultravox. And I think a lot of people have heard of Ultravox 
their later work, but this came out in October of 1977. And I was very surprised because I had never heard this album. <laughs> There's so many albums out there that have just been sitting there for years, right? <laughs> so many albums left to discover. And it's pretty exciting, but it's also a little overwhelming um, sometimes. It's like I don't have time to go back and listen to all this stuff. And, you know, I'm missing a lot of good stuff. But at any rate, Ultravox, ha ha ha, October 1977. And when I first listened to this, I thought, okay, this maybe this is it. Maybe this is the one. But then when I listened some more and then I went back, I gave it a couple days, went back and re-listened, I, I think, again, it's getting close on hitting uh, all of the post-punk check marks. I think Midyear might have came later. And maybe if Midyear uh, had been there and maybe his voice could have put them over the edge, probably not. I think there's still the music is just not quite post-punky enough yet not brooding enough but yeah my opinion this one did not do it either some refugees from suburbia are laughing examining each other's gags my drinks are so fake when it gets late and their velocity begins to sag So we have exhausted the votes from 1977. So in January of 1978, we have another band that most people know called XTC. And this is an album, again, that I had not heard called White Music. I believe this was their first album. I, b I believe it was uh, it was a lot different than their subsequent albums. So it had a vote as well. So I listened to this, and again, I think it's not quite there it's very good. It has a lot of post-punk elements. I keep saying that. But there were just so many bands with a lot of post-punk elements that I don't quite consider a full post-punk album. opinions. A lot of people would argue with this or cite a lot of really good reasons why any one of these that I've mentioned would be considered post-punk as a whole. But I just took the viewpoints of post-punk that I have and that I think best represent the genre as a whole, and I just don't think any of these are, were it. So that brings us to a band called Magazine and an album called Real Life. And this got thrown out by, I think, more people than any other album, and for good reason. I think there were like, I don't remember how many people commented on this uh, this post I made, I think maybe 50 or so, but a lot of them weren't voting, or a lot of them were throwing out, you know, PIL or, or Joy Division. We haven't even got to Joy Division yet. We will. <laughs> but um, this one got, I think, eight votes, something like that. Magazine, Real Life, June 1978. 
I feel like this is the first album that is post-punk through and through. I think there's a little, maybe a little bit of, you know, the the punk aesthetic there. I, I feel like um, it walks that line, though, it, and it walks it pretty damn well. I think um, there's like a, 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 the punk is included, but it's encapsulated in a post-punk uh, shell. And I, I really feel like um, it, it encapsulates everything that post-punk um, stands for. Here's a little bit of magazine real life for you. Okay, so Real Life by Magazine is my number one pick for the first post-punk album released, and that's June 1978. So then comes uh, one of the other votes was an Ideal for Living EP by Joy Division. And so I listened to this. I feel like it's still got a lot of punky vibes. Because of that, I took it out of the running. That brings us to my number two choice. So this would be the second post-punk release, in my opinion, by a band called Wire, which I'd heard of. I'd heard of Magazine and Wire, but I hadn't heard a lot of their music. I'd kind of listened to them here and there and thought, okay, I need to investigate those bands. They sound pretty cool. But Wire came out with Chairs Missing September 8th, 1978, uh, shortly after I turned nine years old. (laughs) And um, this one had a few votes. Actually, it was one of the earliest uh, responses to my question, and I I had not heard of it. Initially, I thought this one's not going to be in the running because there are about six or seven albums that came out before this that people have suggested. But it comes in second because I feel like like, uh, Real Life by Magazine, Chairs Missing by Wire, checks off most or all of the boxes that post-punk would require. Punk overlap in so many ways and kind of walk hand in hand. And so really, I feel like if you've got New Wave mixed in there, that doesn't take anything away from the post-punk genre title. So then for the third uh, post-punk release, this was one that a lot of people uh, threw out, quite a few people threw out as their first choice. And I can understand why. It's Sushi and the Banshees, The Scream. I don't know if I said that right. Maybe you're supposed to say Susie and the Banshees. Somebody can correct me. <laughs> they can email me and correct me if they want to. I want to say I've heard it said Susie and the Banshees. It's S-I-O-U-X-S-I-E for those of you who have never heard of this band. I've heard of them. Most people have heard of them. They've had some radio play over the years. But the album was called The Scream, and it was released on November 13, 1978. Had quite a few votes, as I said. 
And I've already named one and two. So obviously this one that came out a little bit later would have to be my number three through and through post-punk release. Now, a lot of people, I can understand why they would vote for this one, even having heard all those other albums. I can understand why they would vote for this one as their number one, because it is very, very, very post-punk. It's very brooding, very experimental. Susie Sue, the lead singer, her vocals are very much in line with the post-punk feel. The music is very in line with the post-punk feel, and it's like that through and through. I've listened to this a few times. I don't think there's any new wave feelings on it at all. I definitely could understand why somebody would say, hey, this is the one. Other than that, the uh, other one that was voted for the most was uh, Public Image Limited, who a lot of people have heard of, heard their song Rise. I I listened to First Issue. I don't think First Issue's really, honestly, is even a contender in my mind. I know Johnny Rotten was going away. Johnny Lydon was going away from uh, punk. You know, he left the uh, Sex Pistols. And was going to like you know, sort of uh, do something new. And a lot of people would like to consider this the first post-punk album. I don't see it that way. I, listening to it, I think it's very experimental. I just don't think it has all the elements of what uh, turned out to be the post-punk genre. Definitely, it was part of the new music, and definitely it was very experimental, as I said, and I still think it's got a few tinges of punk in it. There's some spoken word type things. I think it's very creative. I'm not a big PIL fan, but I think I have to give it some props for what they did. I just don't think it even uh, makes the cut for me, and a lot of people would take umbrage with that as there were a lot of votes for PIL. I think one of the people posted an answer to my question, what was the first post-punk release? He said, literally, PIL. (laughs) <laughs> like like there's no doubt, no contest, but I disagree. Yeah, okay, so I wanted to list off some of the notable early post-punk groups. So there's Susie and the Banshees, there's Wire, Public Image uh, Limited, The Pop Group, Magazine, Pierre Ubu. They were New Wave. They were part of the new music, um, like Devo. Devo's on this list too. Joy Division, Talking Heads, Gang of Four, The Slits, The Cure, and The Fall. And of course, many others in there too. Probably heard of, of a number of those. And there, I'm sure there's a number of them that, um, that you would know that maybe I don't know or didn't mention. 
So post-punk and how it's defined. If you haven't figured this out yet, there's a lot of disagreement about what post-punk means, what it can be applied to, what style of music. So I wanted to list off a couple different viewpoints that I feel like there are when defining post-punk music. Okay, so the first way that post-punk music is defined is under the umbrella of the approach it takes in the creation of music. Post-punk, it took punk rock's energy, but it dropped the simplicity and the rock traditionalism of punk, and it moved into more experimental areas, valuing more innovative or experimental concepts. You know, so post-punk mindset was to integrate creativity into the process and incorporate various styles, sounds, and musical constructs, often viewing the studio itself as an instrument. This viewpoint allows for a myriad of styles to be rolled into the post-punk genre title. Early on, the music that came out of this outside the rock box approach was actually referred to by the term new music and I can't remember who coined that term. I think it was a journalist, but I can't remember who. I'll try to look it up and maybe put it in the show notes or if I'll do a follow-up. But um, yeah, it was actually, uh, there was a term called new music. Also, it was called new wave. And this is before, I believe, before post-punk term was even used. So there was new music or new wave, and they were kind of used interchangeably. And then soon afterward, post-punk, new wave, and the other styles kind of diverged into their own identifiable genres. New wave was sort of all-encompassing, and it kind of moved into the very uh, sort of keyboard quirky uh, style that people associate in the 80s with new wave. Post-punk moved in a different direction, and I'll kind of uh, give an explanation of that in a minute. And new music was kind of like the very beginning, um, just a term that encapsulated all of it, covered a lot of different experimental styles. So kind of uh, just indicating, hey, it's new music, it's a breakaway from punk into doing something different. So this brings us up to the second way that many people define post-punk, and that is by the musical style that the term eventually developed to represent. So it's the specific style that that developed into what many view as post-punk. So post-punk eventually diverged into prominent bass-driven experimental brooding soundscapes with often somber brooding vocals and poignant reflective lyrics, all the while retaining an overall rhythm, melody, and harmony. So post-punk is very experimental, brooding, kind of darkish or melancholy, but it combines that with sort of melodic inharmonious, which would be typically seen as positive uh, music, as well as foreboding music. So it kind of throws it all together to make this juxtaposition of things, and it's very experimental in nature. So post-punk music is defined for this podcast. It's a combination of this viewpoint and the overall viewpoint of being experimental and moving away from punk and the mindsets of that, incorporating different instruments, looking at the studio itself as an instrument. That's kind of uh, how I see it. So while I tend to categorize post-punk according to that musical style, I give credit to all those post-punk precursors like Bowie and Iggy Pop that I mentioned. I also pull in all of the various splits that came out of the new music that emerged as the original punk movement disintegrated, and I can see that there are many overlapping areas between punk, post-punk, new wave, alternative, dark wave, Britpop, shoegaze, grunge, indie music, etc., And so I intend to cover many bands on this podcast that some of the post-punk elite would take umbrage with. But this podcast is not just about post-punk music. 
the title of the podcast is a bit misleading. Yes, I love post-punk music, and that is mainly what I want to cover on this podcast because that's what touches me and moves me. But the title, Post-Punk Heartstrings, it's really a call-out to all music that is experimentally creative and inspires our hearts and minds. Post-Punk Heartstrings is a viewpoint of creativity paired with life. So it's not just about the music. It's about pairing the music up with life and love, hopes and fears, dreams and nightmares. That's why this podcast will be varied in its subject matter. It won't be just about reviewing or interviewing an album or band. Some episodes will be that, but some will be addressing life and its many heartaches, triumphs, obstacles, failures, and victories, and discussing that with people who are maybe experts in different areas or who have gone through different experiences, and tying that to musical soundscapes or music that highlights the experiences or feelings or whatever. So one more thing that Mr. Feldbush suggested is that I reference some bands that I plan to cover. Okay, so there's going to be many, but here are a few that I have definite plans to cover in the near future. Love Coma and the lead singer, Chris Taylor, who I have sort of a long distance type friendship with over the years. Great guy, wonderful artist. So I intend to uh, cover Love Coma and hopefully that'll be happening fairly soon. The Chameleons. One of my favorites, uh, Michael Knott and his many bands. Um, anybody who's heard of Michael Knott knows how eclectic he is and how prolific he is with his music. And um, he also uh, is an artist as well. Um, Arcade Fire, The Psychedelic Furs, The Cure, The Call, Starflyer 59, Modern English, a band called Fears in Real Life, or Fears IRL. <laughs> a new band called Oceanator, a uh, fairly new band called Oceanator, I should say. They've been around for several years. But that's just scratching the surface. Many others, um, I want to cover older music. I want to cover newer music. I want to cover multiple genres. I'm not going to be tied to post-punk. There'll be a lot of indie music, which kind of overlaps. And there'll be some punk, and there'll be some alternative in modern rock, in new wave, and it'll all kind of tie to post-punk, sort of. But like I said, there's just so much overlap between all these genres. But anyway, that's an explanation of uh, post-punk from my viewpoint and sort of a picture of where I want to go with this podcast and some of the bands I'm going to be covering. <laughs> I could be a really big dork, and sometimes I can be a nostalgic dork. Often, I can be a nostalgic dork. And one of the things I get nostalgic about is back when there used to be giveaways on the radio, when you used to be able to call in and answer questions and win tickets or T-shirts or stickers or various items. And let's face it, the radio days are weak and dying. It's all about podcasting or YouTube videos, and where have the giveaways gone? I know there's still things being given away. There's still contests and things, I'm sure. I'm kind of out of the loop on a lot of that stuff. One of the things I get excited about is people being able to listen and then reach out and take something away that they might enjoy and that I enjoy sharing. So one of the things that I want to do with this podcast is have giveaways. I don't know if that'll happen every single podcast, but I want to make sure that everybody understands it's not about bribing listeners. It's about me getting excited about the music and the subjects that we're covering and being able to share that with other people who are equally interested 
or excited or both. So just wanted to cover that and let you know that I would love to hear from you on my Post Punk Heartstrings Facebook page. You can find the link in the notes or probably it's pretty easy to search it up, I would say. I'll be setting up an email address before I post this episode that will also be in the show notes. So please reach out and let me know what your favorite post-punk band is. Don't get caught up in all the definitions that I've mentioned previously in this episode. Uh, When you think of post-punk, what band do you think of and what band does it for you? Reach out and let me know and I will have something for you free of charge. I will send it to you at the address of your choice. <laughs> that was a weird way to say that. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a weirdo, especially when I'm sitting here talking to virtual people at this point in time. Although I know all of the virtual people will translate into real people <laughs> eventually. Anyway, I'm yammering a bit. But yeah, please, please, please reach out. Say hello. Tell me who your favorite post-punk band is and you will receive something you will like. I guarantee. So anyway, that's it. I played a lot of music clips on this episode. You can find all of the attributions in the show notes. I didn't get permission to play any of these. I'm asking for forgiveness on the back end, and hopefully I'll receive that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with a lot of you out there, so please reach out. One of the other things I wanted to mention is a bit about my background, and this will be coming out in future episodes. But in case you haven't figured this out, my history is that I came out of the Christian culture as a child and through my teen and college years. And since that time, my beliefs have changed quite a bit. So a lot of the bands I cover and music I cover will be within that context. It's just part of who I am and part of my life. And That's just where I come from. And interestingly, a lot of the Christian bands that we were listening to or the bands that were on the fringe of Christianity that we were listening to when I was growing up, those were the bands that had something important to say. A lot of the bands that were in the secular market, that means non-Christian. For those of you who didn't grow up in the Christian culture, you may not even be familiar with that word, secular. (laughs) We used it a lot. Uh, It was anything that wasn't Christian or didn't have a Christian impetus or intention. So a lot of the bands in the secular arena didn't have anything to say or just had surface level things to say. So as much as I look back now sometimes on the Christian music that I listen to with embarrassment or disdain or sometimes irritation or anger, I have to say that a lot of those bands are the reason why I am who I am today. And a lot of the messages there, especially bands that were probing beneath the surface, like the choir, the call, even the altar boys and bands like that. A lot of the stuff was surface from some of the bands, but a lot of the stuff also had a deeper meaning. And I think that kind of comes from having a Christian context. It's evaluating the meaning of life, whether it's coming up with the right or the wrong solution. Its struggle was to do that, and I think that's one of the reasons I was drawn to it, although it was all around me. I was I was sort of immersed in it, but I also had other uh, musical influences from the secular arena, from my brothers and sisters. I think I only had one sister who listened to Christian music at all, and I'm the youngest of 10, so... 
there was all sorts of secular music in play as well. And I could have easily just shunned the Christian and went with all of the secular, but I found a lot of meaning and interest in the Christian music because of the reflection upon life. And sometimes I was interested because I was irritated with them not reflecting on life and I wanted to make sure everyone knew that wasn't what Christianity was supposed to be about. So anyway, my beliefs have changed a lot, but I just want everybody to know that that's my context. And when I started this podcast out, I really didn't intend to talk about Christian bands or music at all or very little. And we got started right out of the gate with the choir and me talking to Steve Hindelong. And what do you know, I found myself kind of sucked right back into that culture. And I realized more and more that that's where I came from. And that's what shaped me and kind of still shapes me. And so I still look back on it. Whether I agree with everything or not is not the point. What the point is, is how did it get me to the place I am now? And how does it still continue to shape me today? So I guess that's all I have to say about that. I want to thank all of you for listening again and taking the time to come back. Those of you who have come back, you're very special in many ways, I'm sure. But I really appreciate you uh, dialing back in on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, I wish peace, love, and mercy for all of you. And this is Jimmy James S. Butler signing off.